Welcome back to Basic Training for Home Inspectors. I am Garth Haslam, the home medic. Subject today, we're going to be talking about asbestos and the issues that asbestos can cause. We're going to be going over uh, what it is, what it looks like, what you should know about it, where it can be found, what EPA's recommendations are, and how to sample it in case that your client needs you to determine whether or not a part of their home may contain asbestos. Well, let's start there. You know, there's a difference between that is asbestos and it may contain asbestos. So, for example, we all have seen the popcorn ceiling texture. Now, the 80-20 rule applies in asbestos just as much as it applies in a thousand other subjects. Most of us, especially in the home inspection business, 80% of the asbestos or materials that may contain asbestos is going to be in the popcorn ceiling texture. That texture is not asbestos. It's got a lot of other materials there. There's a lot of misinformation. I've heard more than one realtor actually say that if you can see the sparkles in the popcorn ceiling texture, that those sparkles are the asbestos. Or you can tell that it's asbestos because it has sparkles in it. Really has nothing to do with it. Let's get down a little bit more to the nitty-gritty. Asbestos is a problem because it creates very small fibers, or it's made up of very small fibers that easily float and stay in the air, and then those very small fibers can find their way into a person's lungs. And again, because they are so small, they tend to stay in the lungs. The lung system that we all have can't pull them out as well as it can, for example, things like dust. So they stay there. They cause cysts, and then you get health effects. So that's the uh, reason why asbestos is a problem. Asbestos was once called a miracle material because it has such great qualities. Besides the fact that it can kill you, it's got some very nice characteristics. One of them, and, and perhaps the most important, is that it makes a very good heat shield. So for this reason, let's imagine, for example, that you're building a ship and it's uh, maybe 1939 and you want to make sure that if the ship gets bombed by the Germans or the Japanese, that a fire stays in that particular zone rather than burn the entire ship. So what you're going to do is you're going to create separate compartments and you're going to line each of these compartments with asbestos on the outer walls. This is why uh, asbestos is so commonly used with shipbuilding is it helps to contain any fires that happen to occur on the ship. You will also see asbestos on fireproof vests. I mentioned the shipbuilding. You'll see it in railroad use. Pretty much any other application, especially old time, where we used to have a need for thermal protection. There are a number of kinds of asbestos, and being that this is basic training, I'm not trying to get you fully up to speed on asbestos. You'll need to do that, of course, on your own. We're doing basic training here, kindergarten-level training. And so basically, I'm just going to introduce you to a couple of names. The most common type of asbestos in the United States and that I see is chrysotile. And, you know, we're not going to go down the road of uh, what that looks like. The bottom line is that you and I are never going to know whether something contains asbestos unless we sample it and send it into the lab. And they will tell us whether it's chrysotile or anisite or one of a number of other types of asbestos that 
you know, and frankly, to me, it doesn't matter if it's asbestos, it's asbestos, and it needs to be dealt with appropriately. Now, a lot of the websites that you see will list that there are six types of asbestos. There are six that are regulated. There are a number of other kinds of materials that are very similar. Those are not regulated, at least as of the time that I'm recording this. Again, does that matter to you? Probably not, because what you're going to need to know is that asbestos can cause health effects, and we're going to talk about those here shortly as well. It will be part of your job to know what you need to know so that you can protect both yourself and your client as you're moving through the house. Obviously, and again, they expect you to know everything about everything, and of course, that's impossible, but you need to have your bases covered. So, for example, if you see a popcorn ceiling texture on on the ceiling of a home that was maybe built back in 1975 or so, and that stuff was considered to be so cool back then, I know because I survived the 70s. I lived through them. It was hard, but somehow I managed. So, that was considered cool back then. Obviously, it's not considered cool by anybody anymore. And so it just hasn't been done more recently. So what I used to say, you know, back in the 90s when I started home inspections, was that at the time, based on experience, about 40 to 50% of the popcorn ceiling textures had asbestos. Now, based on experience, it's closer to 80 or 90%. And I think the reason for that is that in many cases where that popcorn ceiling texture has asbestos, nobody really wanted to mess with it. They didn't want to pay to remove it. They didn't want to really do anything. So in many cases, they'd uh, just play the out-of-sight, out-of-mind game and leave it alone. So here's what can happen and the kind of information that you're going to want to pass along to your clients. EPA says... Uh, again, as of the time of this recording, that as long as that asbestos-containing material is left alone and undisturbed, that you're good. That's plan A. Plan B is that if it is going to be disturbed, it needs to be properly removed. Now, properly removed can be, in most states, that it can be done by a homeowner. It does not again, depending on the state, require that a professional do it. I know that the state that I'm in actually changed the law recently so that pretty much any contractor who considers himself qualified can do that work. If you want to advise your client on how to do that, again, you'll want to do more research than what I'm giving you, but let me give you the two-bit version of that. Basically, they're going to create a giant garbage bag out of the room using vinyl sheeting or plastic sheeting and then using the proper breathing protection and personal protection you're going to spray that ceiling texture with usually just a weed sprayer obviously you can't use a hose because that's too much you can't use a pressure washer again that's too much that's going to blow stuff all over the place so you get it lightly wet with a weed sprayer at this point you can scrape it off because now it's in a mud sort of a form you can scrape that off you keep it wet until that particular room is done and then in most states what happens is or what is allowed to happen is you can actually roll up that giant garbage bag and put it in the garbage can. It does not have to be disposed of as hazardous waste in most states. Now, if you're in California, all bets are off, and especially 
states like California, you're going to need to make sure that you have the rules that apply to you in your state. Okay, so there is a concept called latency. Again, I'll use myself as the example where I survived the 70s. Let's say that I, for whatever reason, was in a room where there was asbestos removal being done in, uh, let's go for 1985. And perhaps neither I nor the people who were doing the work at the time knew that there was asbestos there, and they didn't perhaps know that there was even a problem associated with asbestos. So as a result, the stuff is being scraped down dry. Maybe they, they're using hammers to get the sheetrock down, and they're pounding through the popcorn ceiling texture and the sheetrock, you know, creating a giant mess and, and resulting in asbestos all over the place which everybody in that environment is going to be breathing in large volumes into their lungs. Now we get into what's called the latency period. Latency means that, let's say it's 1985 when that event happens, latency can last, and they, they narrowed this down very precisely. They said it can be 10 to 50 years. So basically, if I had the dose in 1985, they're saying that it might show up as a uh, problem in my lungs, as early as 1995, or 1985 plus 50 years would be 2035. Obviously, that is a very wide range of years, and, and to me that basically says they don't know. But that is the official line on how long you can go between having the dose and the health effect. I guess the point there is that just because somebody might have been breathing uh, the material last week and they've survived until this week doesn't mean they're out of the woods, at least as quoted by experts in the subject. Okay, let's say that we do have that 1985 event that happens and we go through the years. Maybe it's 2015, 2020 by now, and all of a sudden the asbestos has a switch turned on it and it starts to cause issues in my lungs. Those issues can be a couple of things. One would be mesothelioma, which is actually a lung cancer that is blamed on asbestos. We also have a disease which is not a cancer called asbestosis. Uh, again, being that this is basic training and your clients don't necessarily need to know the difference, but you know, I'm not going to go down the road of what mesothelioma looks like versus asbestosis other than just let you know that these are lung issues. If somebody has, I don't know, let's say the sniffles or their skin is itchy or let's say their back hurts or maybe who knows what, a liver problem and they're blaming this on asbestos, you probably don't want to say this to them directly but good chance that they're a crackpot and don't know what they're talking about. You will run into at least some of those during your career as a home inspector. You know, again, you got to be respectful to everybody, but sometimes people just don't know what they're talking about. And if you're not very, uh, let's say, respectful to them, they'll decide that you're the one that doesn't know what you're talking about, even though the, the shoe may be very much on the other foot. This makes you lose your credibility, and then you can't help them. All right, so uh, I mentioned that mesothelioma is lung cancer. You and I have both seen hundreds of ads from lawyers who are advertising for mesothelioma clients, looking for another client to soothe the asbestos manufacturers. That's what's going on. When you hear mesothelioma, I want you to think asbestos. 
And you'll want to probably mention that word in your inspections when you see something like the popcorn ceiling. Now, the popcorn ceiling, as I mentioned, is 80% of the asbestos that I see in homes. But there are also a number of other places where you can find it. Asbestos tape is commonly used on homes that were built pre-1979. And it's going to line the ducts. What they would do is they would use that asbestos tape to seal the gaps in each of the pipes that were used for the ducts. Uh, Again, what I mentioned to the clients is that EPA recommends that if those things can be left alone, that's plan A. Plan B on those, I mentioned that uh, a real good option that's inexpensive and does everything that everybody needs is you go to a place like Home Depot or Lowe's, And then you can get what's called foil tape. It looks like aluminum foil. It's on a roll that looks like duct tape. One side, of course, has an adhesive on it, and you can actually place that foil tape over the aluminum. Then it's sealed, and then the chances of little Johnny scraping against it or somehow washing it or bouncing his basketball against it and getting that into the air, uh, those odds go way down. In addition, so you'll quite often, that's the number two most common that I have seen in the asbestos category, most common source of asbestos-containing material. Occasionally, you will also see where maybe there was an old-time furnace. I'm talking about 1920, 1930, 1940, where maybe there was a wood stove or a coal stove, and that flue got hot. And in order to avoid burning the house down, they would actually place an aluminum plate between the wall and the flue. Now, when I see those, I'll often mention that, you know, and sometimes you can just tell those by sight. Once you get good at seeing those, you'll know that. The official line is that you never know until you sample it. But sometimes you can know, you can see what it is and where it is and why it is, and you'll know that it's asbestos. So then you go back to what I consider to be more important, which is not terrifying your client, but identifying that that is a potential problem and how to address it. So let's say that you see that pipe in uh, perhaps a basement, and you've got an 8-inch asbestos sheet right next to the pipe, and it's there to protect the wall from burning. So the thought is that either we leave that asbestos sheet or we remove it. There are costs and consequences associated with both choices. If we leave it, of course, we still have asbestos in the house. If we remove it, the mere act of removal can cause a lot of asbestos fibers to be released into the home, especially if it's not done properly and professionally. And as I mentioned, EPA recommends that if you can leave it, that's, that's plan A. Because just because something is there doesn't mean that it's contributing asbestos fibers to the living space. When that happens, what causes that to happen would be little Johnny with his pocket knife or maybe bouncing his basketball or grandma sweeping the wall or who knows what it may be. If people are abusing or disturbing that asbestos sheet, then we have a problem. So as I talk about this with some of the people that I train on the subject, often you'll get a comment like, you know, how do we protect it? And one of the options is to go back to the foil. You know, obviously if it's covered, it's protected a little bit. If the purpose is to have that there to avoid burning the house down, then 
I don't know about you, but I would rather have asbestos in my home than have my home turn into a uh, heap of charred embers. So I'm going to choose to keep the asbestos if that's the set of choices that I have. If that's the case, I'm going to leave that asbestos there, and maybe you can put a piece of sheet metal over it or something else that, again, is going to protect from having little Johnny maybe carve on it or play with it or color on it or, or whatever little Johnny's going to do. This is the kind of information you can pass on to your clients. Make sure they are clear, you know, what it is and that it is not a problem, that it is a problem, but only if they don't do the kinds of things that they're supposed to. This goes back to the $10 fix and $10,000 fix. And in this case, the $10 fix is maybe going to be a piece of sheet metal that is placed in a way that doesn't disturb the asbestos sheet. The $10,000 fix is to have little Johnny get mesothelioma and uh, obviously that's a lot more expensive than $10,000 fix but you get the way the rule applies in this particular category now because of its characteristics asbestos six types of asbestos are banned in most countries it is not banned in the United States Canada or India at this time uh, there are still uses but the uh, the number of uses has dropped dramatically, you know, to single, you know, like 2 or 3% of what it used to be uh, back in the day. They're not allowing new applications, but they are allowing and regulating continued use of certain old applications. One of those was, for example, brake linings. It's my understanding, based on people that I've talked to that brake liners using asbestos have been phased out, at least in the state that I am in. And I haven't verified that myself. But, you know, these are examples of ways that asbestos, you know, has recently still been used. But, of course, everybody's trying to find another way because nobody needs to get that call from a lawyer that they're being sued for their application of asbestos. Now, how does all this apply, you know, to you? Where does the rubber hit the road? Let's go there. Where you can find asbestos in a home, obviously the popcorn ceiling. That's the gorilla that is going to be most common. I mentioned the tape on the ducts. You can have asbestos on the joints and sheetrock walls. And again, this is going to be happening usually, but uh, not always usually, on homes that were pre-1979. I actually did see one home where Grandpa kept his roll of asbestos, and it was about 1985 when he moved to a new home, and then he used that roll of asbestos that had been sitting around for at least five years, and then he taped up his ducts using that old asbestos roll. So... Usually, but not always, 1979 or previous. It's one of those million things that was wrong with the 70s. Asbestos was one of those good ideas that wasn't such a great idea. As a personal story, I'm, I'm going to go back to my childhood. I remember, you know, and I grew up in a home that had a basement, and my dad, I remember him pouring that asbestos into the bucket. He'd mix up the mud and then he had this stuff that he says was so cool and he poured in and basically I want to call it a flower form. You know, of course asbestos doesn't look like flower, it's fibrous. But he said that that made that 
that popcorn ceiling so much better because it tied everything together. And I just remember the small dust cloud that happened as he was pouring that in. Obviously, at that point in time, the number of fibers in the air went from basically zero to who knows how many thousands or millions. But I've survived thus far. We'll see what my latency period is. That was the way that it was done back in the day, and some of us survived. Doesn't mean that you should consider the stuff to be safe because your primary thing is advising your clients well and keeping yourself from being sued. So last thing I want you to do is go telling anybody that asbestos is safe or that anything else is safe. Just not words that you want to use. You are expected, again, to know everything about everything, but you are not expected to be a doctor. And even no doctor would be brave enough to go telling you that asbestos or anything else is safe. That would just be foolish. It would find its way into, into ending your career, whether we're talking about asbestos or something else. I'd mentioned that uh, it was used as an insulator. It was used on pipes. It was used on flues. You're going to want to look there at the pipes and flues to make sure that, and this is a grayish-white eggshell tan sort of a substance. Uh, it can take slightly different colors. Once you've seen it once, especially the tape, you'll recognize the form and, and you'll be able to recognize it more easily later on. Maybe what you do is you just go to Google and you do a, a Google search looking for images of asbestos tape and you'll get it pretty quickly. Again, you'll see these things. If the home was built in 2010, chances are very slim that you're going to be seeing any asbestos insulation anywhere. All right. Now, one mistake that I made as a home inspector in this category back in 1993 is I knew enough about asbestos to know that it made a very good insulator. So I started thinking that any insulative product was maybe asbestos and needed to be tested. One of the mistakes that I made in, you know, in my first few months as a home inspector was looking at freestanding stoves and seeing the fabric insulator between the door and the stove itself and saying, you know, telling my client that that might have asbestos in it. Usually it does not. Again, if that furnace or wood-burning stove or whatever post-dates 1979, don't bring it up. Uh, no use causing terror in, in a client that doesn't need to be terrorized over something like that. I had a couple of people look at me like I was born on Mars. And then, of course, I actually had to physically damage that insulator so that I could get a sample so that I could take it in the lab. Of course, it turned up negative. And now everybody's looking at me like, you are an idiot. And now I expect you to pay for the compromised seal on my fireplace. So, yeah, that didn't keep happening. We all learn sometimes the hard way, and that's the purpose of uh, this basic training is to give you some of the advantages of my experience, good, bad, and sideways. I don't mind proving through my experience what an idiot I am because I've done that a thousand times already. I think everybody already knows that. But that doesn't mean that you need to do the same thing. You can make your own mistakes. Just don't make mine. All right, non-home applications include, as I mentioned, brake lining, shipbuilding. Uh, it can happen again in uh, railroads. A lot of those sorts of, you know, kilns back in the day, a lot of those sorts of businesses and enterprises will commonly use asbestos. As I was training, I 
did listen to a client who said that his uncle had just died from mesothelioma and that, that he had actually worked in an asbestos mine. These guys were using, I want to say picks and shovels, but actually I don't know that. They were using whatever tools to mine this asbestos out of the mine, and I'm sure that within that space the air was probably thick with asbestos fibers. So in that particular case, it makes a certain amount of sense that there would be health effects associated with that. Now, how does it that having thousands, maybe tens of thousands of fibers per square foot correlate to having one or two fibers in uh, in our homes or in the homes that we inspect? Uh, again, I am not going to guess uh, what the relative risks are and the comparisons with 10,000 fibers versus two fibers. You shouldn't either. But again, there is some room for consideration as to relative risks associated with each. Bottom line is that if you or somebody else are actually physically removing that asbestos, you're causing fibers to go into the air, people are going to be breathing that, and you will be the culprit if you're not doing it right. Better off, don't do it at all. Leave that sort of thing to somebody else. If you decide to get into the asbestos removal business, great, get trained, do that. But if you're just going to be a home inspector, don't try to pretend that you're an asbestos remediator. Again, I want to stress this. EPA recommendations are that you leave the stuff alone or have it removed professionally. Leave it alone has some categories to it. It really could mean leave it alone. On the other hand, maybe you've got a... Uh, kid's bedroom that has a popcorn ceiling, chances of that being left alone are pretty thin. So I have, you know, maybe Johnny's going to check his vertical and he's going to jump and scrape his fingers on the ceiling to see if he can actually hit that eight foot ceiling. We all did that as kids. We figured we were reaching a step when we could jump and touch the ceiling. If that ceiling has asbestos on, then every time Johnny does that, he's releasing more fibers into the air. If he's bouncing basketballs or some other ball, or if uh, Grandma is sweeping the ceiling, maybe because it has spider webs, or maybe because it looks dirty, maybe somebody was burning candles and she's trying to clean that ceiling, she's releasing hundreds or thousands or who knows how many fibers of asbestos into the air. Again, if they can leave it alone, they're great. But if you have the scenarios that I just described or even the potential for those scenarios, then it is better to take steps. And take steps can mean some things. I have actually seen people paint that stuff. And that has some strengths and weaknesses. Uh, painting it does seal it, but it doesn't remove the asbestos. So at some point in the next hundred years, somebody's probably going to want to remove that asbestos. At that point, they can't do it safely because now it's painted, and the only way to get it down safely is to get it wet, and you can't get it wet because it's painted. Similarly, I have seen people actually put new sheetrock under the old asbestos, and again, similar sort of problem. At some point, that house is going to need to be knocked down, and when that happens, because the asbestos is inaccessible, when you knock that house down, you're going to have millions of fibers be released into the air. Until then, everybody's great. But at that point in time, when the house gets knocked down, then you've got problems. All right. How to sample the stuff. 
you're going to need a baggie or an airtight container. Now, baggies are not recommended. And when I say baggie, I mean a Ziploc baggie, one that is sealed. A lot of labs don't like to have baggies because they can't guarantee that it hasn't popped during shipment or that it has been adequately sealed. And then when they pull the baggie out, you've got a, an envelope that is also full of asbestos fibers. And then the lab is contaminated, and that's not going to make you any friends. So most labs are going to require an airtight container. In many cases, that will be a centrifuge sort of a bottle. Usually those are about one inch diameter and two or three inches deep. And you're going to want to get enough sample to cover about the head of a quarter. You can use a knife or a spatula. You'll want to hit multiple areas because obviously maybe grandpa sprayed asbestos all over a ceiling, but maybe he dumped asbestos in the last batch and he only got maybe the north or the east side of the room. So if you're just sampling the west or the south side, you're not going to get it. Where You'll get a false negative is what I'm getting to. So you're going to want to sample multiple areas uh, near the wall, near the middle. Try to get areas where the removal that you do isn't as noticeable. Uh, so sometimes, for example, you can do that behind drapes or near lights or something where the hole that you cause is going to be covered up by something. Make sure that as you're doing this that you're not resulting in specks of materials on the floor. If so then you are the cause for asbestos fibers going into the house. And in the effort of trying to protect your clients, you are actually damaging them because what was on the ceiling that was undisturbed and not a problem is now on the floor. It's being disturbed every time somebody walks across the floor and it's getting into everybody's lungs because of your inadequate efforts. So make sure that everything that comes off the ceiling ends up outside the house. If it doesn't end up inside your canister, it needs to end up outside in the garbage can. Not even in an inside garbage can, that's not good enough. It needs to go outside. Better off to make sure that everything gets captured and makes it into your canister. If you end up having to pick stuff off, off the floor and you're getting carpet fibers in there, that's okay. The lab knows the difference between asbestos fibers and carpet fibers. They might identify those carpet fibers, but you know, those, nobody really cares about that. Uh, what you're looking for and what the lab is looking for are the asbestos fibers. Now, that brings us to one more subject, and that's when you as the home inspector need to run. There was a home I did where somebody wanted to knock a house down that was in a prime location. It was an old home, I want to say maybe 1920-ish, and it had been eaten considerably by the termites, and it had asbestos all over the place. This guy wanted to knock this house down, but he was being held up by the county, which before they would issue a knockdown permit, they wanted to make sure that the property didn't have any asbestos in because, again, you knock a house down you've, with asbestos and now you got fibers going all the way through the neighborhood in the city. So they came out, they tested this popcorn ceiling texture, and sure enough, it had uh, asbestos. So now they were requiring that uh, this guy remediate the popcorn ceiling, the asbestos, before they would allow him to knock the house down. He was pissed off about that. So what he gathered was, we need you to get this popcorn ceiling texture off the ceiling. And that's what he did. 
he sprayed it with went in with a hose he sprayed it down with that hose and then he got his i don't know if it was a scraper or if he used a snow shovel but he got it off the ceiling and onto the walls and onto the floor and onto everything else there was some on the windows you name it the asbestos the popcorn ceiling texture was off the ceiling but it was everywhere else if you happen to run into that you probably should refuse to do the inspection unless you have the proper breathing protection because uh, with each step that you and everybody else takes or has taken recently in that house now you're going to be having asbestos fibers again get back into the breathing air it's going to get into your lungs it doesn't get back out and the cost of doing the potential cost of you doing that uh, home inspection will be much greater than your fee could ever be so if you see that stuff and it's all over the floor and the walls and it's, you know somebody just did a pissed off job of removing the popcorn ceiling texture or maybe just a let's say an incompetent job rather than perhaps a pissed off job or both if you see that sort of a thing run don't do that inspection you're basically going to want to either refer that out to somebody who has the appropriate ppe that stands for personal protective equipment if you happen to have been trained that way and you have the ppe maybe you go get that and you can add that to your list of things that you're charging for is sampling that stuff if you don't know what you're doing in that category, though, just run. That's not only a career ender, but you know it could be a life ender, again, depending on the latency period. I guess that's kind of an argument for being a 60-year-old home inspector, is if the latency period is 10 to 50 years, and for you, let's say that it's 30, you're good. You know That means you'll die at 90 years old. I'm kidding, of course. But, you know, bottom line, don't do anything that's hazardous. Don't allow the homeowner or the home buyer to do anything that's hazardous as part of the home inspection. There might be a temptation in order to, to try and do a better job by doing things that are dangerous. Don't do it. There's not enough money in the world to land yourself in the hospital or the morgue simply because you wanted to charge a little bit more for home inspection. Take care of your clients but don't do so at the risk of yourself and your family. All right, this is the part where I do nag you again about providing excellent customer service. Part of that means keeping your clients alive. Again, if you see something that looks like asbestos, make sure that you provide enough information to them so that not only you are doing crazy things with that, that asbestos, but you're making sure that they're not doing crazy things either. You're going to make sure that they're educated enough that they know what they can and cannot do. Make sure that you understand what the rules are associated with asbestos in your year, state, and county. And uh, appreciate having you on board. Now go out there, take care of those customers. Make me proud. <laughs>